Today we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm going to be reading verses 6 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. In honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read this? But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. No? Am I in the wrong passage? Pardon me? Today, chapter 9, verse 6, March 12. Do I have that wrong? Huh? Oh, from verse 6. I'm sorry. Chapter 9, from verse 6. Thank you. Thank you very much. I told you I was having a hard time coming down. <laughs> I'm down to earth now. Okay. Yeah. No, it was, it was the songs. Whew. Okay. 9, verse 6. The cheerful giver. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written, he distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies, sends, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So as we've been going through 2 Corinthians, we happen, you happen to have joined us at this particular point. And the section that we're going through right now is a section uh, about giving. It's one of the few sections in the New Testament that really focus on giving. Um, we, we see the foreshadow of giving in the Old Testament when the people of Israel gave for the tabernacle and for the temple, each of which is a picture of the church today. Amen? You are the tabernacle of God. You're the temple that God dwells in today. And it's a picture of the future heavenly city in which God dwells. There were also prescribed offerings, which were to care for the priests, and the daily needs of the temple. So today, the offerings do the same thing. In, in essence, they care for the people of God to advance the kingdom of God and to care for our meeting places and the ministers, as well as helping the poor. 
All of these are the temple of God for today. And Paul had been sharing how the offering for the church in Jerusalem would be collected from the believers in Corinth. He has emphasized how we're to accept the grace to be generous. He calls it a grace. And in today's passage, he's going to explain the benefits of giving. Up to this point, he's been talking about the necessity. He's been defending his position as apostle, how they're going to collect the offering and everything. But now he's going to go into these benefits of giving. So verse 6 again, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So Paul presents this uh, a maxim, uh, uh, an expression of truth. It's one of those truths that we often go back to and refer to in Scripture. It's one of those ones that you underline because you want to remember it because it, it's a guidance for, for our lives. It renews our minds. So he's presenting it as an agricultural parallel. If you plant only a few seeds, you're only going to get a little harvest. If you plant a lot of seeds, you can expect a big harvest. It reminds me of one of the Proverbs, Proverbs 11:24, that says, one gives freely and yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Kent Hughes writes um, that this proverb literally reads, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows blessings will also reap with blessings. That's the, the literal translation. This goes back to the giver's heart and God's grace in the matter of giving. God gives back blessings to those who give as a matter of blessing. So it's not how much we give, but rather that we give as generously as possible with an attitude of joy of blessing. However, we have to it, be careful that we don't interpret this as a way to get rich, okay? I give so I can get. Some pastors will teach you should give seed money and you're going to reap a lot of money. That's not how the apostle describes it, nor is it the life of Christ or of the disciples. In Ephesus, he tells us that we work with our hands so that we can give to the, those in need. He's not suggesting a Ponzi scheme. I've seen generous people blessed so that they can give even more, be more generous. Dr. Matai, um, India Evangelical Mission, told me the churches that he goes and shares with who are the most sacrificial in their giving are the ones that tend to be more blessed uh, in abundance. We've seen that in, in, uh, in our case here. We... We don't give to get, but we give because of God's heart for missions and our heart that joins him in that, that passion to see the gospel and to help the poor. Should the poor be encouraged to give? Well, so a blessing, reap a blessing. Of course they should. Remember the widow's might. She gave all that she had and Jesus praised her for it. Giving demonstrates faith. If what we have belongs to God, we should give whatever the Lord leads us to give. And the next verse actually tells us how. 
Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The Holy Spirit impresses on our hearts what we should give. And unlike the Old Testament percentage, God may lead us to give more or less. If less, it may be because there's another need that's coming that we're unaware of. This is the New Testament direction. Give as the Lord leads your heart to give. If you're reluctant or feel compelled, don't do it. God doesn't need our money. I don't think you'll hear that preached in many <laughs> churches, but he doesn't. He owns everything. He can move anybody's heart anywhere, right? I often tell the story about when, when we were, one of the few years that we were in the red in the past 21 years, one of the few years, we were like $40,000 in the red and somebody 50, 60, 70 years ago had passed away and left some money to Wayside Chapel the heir had also received a uh, care for a plot of ground for their burial and to maintain it, okay, like a trust fund. Well, the person, it was a long distance from their house, they couldn't maintain it. And so they had that gravesite actually moved to a cemetery that took care of the sites themselves. And there was lots of money left over. So they searched in the will to find out who did they leave money to, and guess what? They gave us $40,000. <laughs> now, if you're going, how's God going to do that? We're, and some people were wringing their hands. We're 40000 behind. What are we going to do? I know. Somebody 70 years. <laughs> and, you know, and you imagine this. No one imagined that kind of scenario. It's just God. God is faithful. If we are faithful to do what God calls us to do, we know he will be faithful to meet our need. That doesn't mean get rich, but we will be blessed. Unlike, I didn't plan on giving that, so let me find my place. <laughs> um, if you're reluctant or compelled, don't give. He doesn't need your money. He invites you to join him in what he's doing and he'll bless you one way or another for accepting his invitation. We are to be led by the spirit, not bound by the letter. Cheerful giving takes place when you realize God blesses you so you can freely bless others. Again, Paul takes the concept from the Old Testament. God told the people that if they gave freely from the heart, they would be blessed. It's knowing that if he leads you to give, you're doing so at the leading of the one who loves you and who provides all your needs. It's realizing that we are giving to him first out of what he's already given to us. If the recipient of the blessing wastes it or is ungrateful, that's not our concern. We did what the Lord led us to do and God will honor us for that. We gave to the Lord. It's up to him to deal with the individual. He had reasons for prompting us to give. If you begrudge giving, the problem is in your relationship with money and with God. Money is not our security. Some people believe we're required to tithe in the New Testament. I, tend, I disagree. Giving 10% is a guideline that we see even before the law was given to Moses 
But 10% was a guide to those who didn't have the filling of the Holy Spirit. They weren't able to be led by the Holy Spirit. They weren't infilled with the Holy Spirit. That didn't happen until Acts chapter 2. And so they needed some godly guidance and guidelines to, to live by. That's why Jesus said nothing in the New Testament about tithing except noting what the Pharisees did. Verse 7 is the New Testament guide to giving. Give what you decide in your heart if you can do so cheerfully. You know, in our day, especially uh, uh, on the media, we are bombarded with requests to give. Um, there's so many giving apps. There's uh, television commercials with crying poor people. Uh, there's just all kinds of needs are, and we're made aware of around the world. And some of them use these tearful scenes to pull on our heartstrings. But giving out of guilt thrust upon you and giving what you decide in your heart are two totally different things. If you're in doubt in your heart about whether God's leading to you to give or to the amount, wait until he resolves that issue in your heart and makes it clear to you. Now, only just don't use that in this, as an excuse not to give. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You know, sometimes we wonder what will happen to us if we give as we are led to give. Will we be okay? Well, Paul answers the concern here. God is able, he says. We know God is able. We might say more than able. Amen? He's more than able to make all grace abound to us. When we fear giving, we're revealing our lack of faith in God. Do we think he cannot meet our needs? That abounding grace promises sufficiency in all things at all times. What circumstances or times does this leave out? None, right? All things, all times. But recognize that sufficiency is the basic needs being met. It doesn't include everything we desire unless... Our desires are aligned with God's will. We've seen, again, we've seen that play out in this church. The more we give to missions, the more we seem to give year after year after year. How does that work? Well, God makes all grace abound to us so that we may abound in every good work. We see this scripture fulfilled year after year. It happens corporately with us as a church. It happens individually in our lives. And he does this so all who cooperate with his leading might continue to abound in every good work. See, God desires to work through us. He supplies that abundance grace, abundant grace and he meets our need. Not so we can sit around in satisfaction, but so that we might abound in every good work. We have this short time here on earth to glorify God by helping others physically and spiritually. You know, and every time one of our congregation goes on to be with the Lord, it should always remind us how short our time is here on earth. Not only to, to show that person our love, but that our time is short as well. And we need to be about our Father's business. Amen? 
do, do what he's called us to do. Paul was telling the churches and us today that God is always our sufficiency in all things. The, that truth should help us receive the grace to give. Verse nine, and as it is written, he has distributed freely to the poor. He has distributed freely, has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. I like the last word. <laughs> You're probably tired of me driving this home, this point home that, that Paul always backs up the truth of what he's saying with Scripture. In this case, it's Psalm 112, verse 9, a psalm about the blessings of a godly life. Those who only teach from the New Testament are missing those foundational principles from which uh, the apostle proves his points. The scriptures are the authority behind what we teach. If we can't put a reference behind our statements, we may be on shaky ground of man's ideas rather than the immovable rock of scripture. Jesus taught the same idea of God's provision on the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, 25 to 26, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what, what you'll eat, what you'll wet, what you'll drink, nor for your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? God is the righteous provider of all good things. This doesn't mean there won't be times of hunger or famine. Paul said, in fact, that he experienced hunger in, our, in the first letter to the Corinthians. And yet, he could write this verse and the previous one, sufficiency in all things, and he has distributed freely to the poor. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now here again, Paul's alluding to scripture, Isaiah 55 verse 10, in which God causes the earth to bring forth seed for the sower and bread for the eater, the passage says. He's saying that since our God is a God who meets our needs, he will surely provide you the finances and the time to give to those in need. And the harvest of righteousness is increased. Now that may mean our righteousness or the righteousness of those whom we serve or both are part of the harvest. The fruit comes from our generosity will abound in a harvest of righteousness. And that's that perfection that Brother Kip was, was speaking about that sense within us that there's more, there's, there's, a, there's things as they should be. That's righteousness. Paul tells the Philippians that God supplies every need of ours, every need in Christ Jesus. But just before that, just before that verse in Philippians 4.19, he wrote that he knew how to be content in every situation whether to be low, brought low, or to abound. He could do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 
we can see that what Paul intends to convey is not that everything we want will be given to us if we, if we give and give and give, but rather that God provides enough so that in his time and at his direction, we can give to the needs of others. We can receive that grace of giving. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So as we give at God's leading, he enriches us in every way. And that enables us to continue to be generous in every way, financially or, or time or sharing God's word. And when Paul and company deliver the gift to the Jerusalem elders, Paul knew it would produce thanksgiving to God for that desperately needed provision. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So Jesus had just in that passage in Luke um, uh, 6.38, Jesus had just been speaking about forgiveness. It's the sowing and reaping principle. I know if I share uh, insights that God gives me into his, to his word, he gives me more. If we help others when we're in need, we will, we will be helped. We are being like our heavenly father when we freely give because he has freely given to us. James tells us that every good gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights. And when we give cheerfully and freely, we're following the ways of God who gave his only son that we might have everlasting life. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. The grace giving in which they were participating met a physical need. There were widows in Jerusalem that the church took care of. It was meeting that need, but that's not all that it did. Paul sees thanksgiving as an important part of the mission. Meeting the need will cause the recipients and the givers to overflow with many thanksgivings to God. I wonder if we count that as an important part of our service to God. To, to see that others are thankful and to be thankful for the opportunity to meet their need. He ends the passage with a, a word of thanksgiving. He thanks God in prison in Philippi with songs while his feet were in stocks. The psalmists tell us that we're to enter the gates of the Lord with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, as we sang about earlier. And we are to offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. And we are to sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, Psalm 147.7. Thanksgiving to God is a sign that our hearts and minds are where they should be. Complaining and whining are signs that we are self-focused and angry that everything doesn't go exactly like we desire. It's forgetting all the good that has been bestowed upon us. And now, amazingly, in connection with what Kip was saying, it's like Eve in the Garden of Eden 
blessed with walking with God. The perfect spouse, the perfect environment, all her needs met, and she was fixated on the one thing that was forbidden, and forbidden for her good. Instead of a thankful heart for all God's goodness, she doubted God's motives for withholding the one thing from her. We fall into the same cycle when we're ungrateful. So if our obedience to God ends up abounding in thanksgiving, it means we're setting people's hearts and minds as they should be, grateful to God for his blessings and faith for what we do not understand. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Paul has faith to believe that the recipients there in Jerusalem that, that received that offering will not only be thankful for the physical need met, but that they will glorify God because the churches submitted themselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit to give generously. He wrote that the submission of the givers came from their confession of the gospel of Christ. Now, this is Jews thanking God for Gentiles, which is something that never used to happen before. But now, because of this gift, this grace-giving gift that came from God, the, the Gentiles are giving to the Jews in Jerusalem, and the Jews are doing something they never did, thanksgiving to God for Gentiles. You see? And that makes the Gentiles thankful that they're being received by the Jewish believers, all because of the gospel, confession of the gospel of Christ. If we proclaim that the Father and Son loved us so much that Jesus was willing to meet our greatest need, taking our sin debt upon himself and bearing the punishment that we deserved, then how can we not be gracious towards others? Amen? If God is so generous to us, we're expected to be generous to others. In Matthew 18, Jesus told of a man whose employer forgave him an enormous debt. And the man turned around and, and found somebody that owned him $10, threw him in prison. When the man, the, the, the former employer, found out what his, his servant had done, the servant he'd forgiven had done, he decided to rescind his forgiveness and put him in prison until he paid that enormous debt. And that's an illustration that we have been forgiven so much, so incredibly, such an immeasurable amount that we should have the grace to forgive and be generous to others. Paul mentions one more blessing this gift will produce. The recipients will long for and pray for their Gentile brothers and sisters. And that's the unity that Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17. Meeting one another's needs strengthens our bonds of love and reminds us to pray for one another. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You know, you probably know that 
Publishers Clearinghouse is about to do their drawing. 5,000 a week for the rest of your life and then you can pass it on to an heir and they get 5,000 a week for the rest of their life, right? What if you had a long lost cousin that knocked on your door and told you he'd won but he really didn't need the money and he was gonna give it to you and he's about to die so he'll leave you his home on the beach in Maui and by the way, it has a Lamborghini in the garage and it'd be nice, right? But that is nothing compared to what God has given us. Nothing. Incomparable. I could try to describe it, but I would always fall short because, as Paul said here, it is inexpressible. You know, the taxes on the house would be enormous. And the car insurance and taxes, yikes. And then there's the income tax on all that money. People constantly asking you for assistance. Inflation and on and on and on. Meanwhile, the house and car will eventually need repairs and upkeep, right? Nothing in this world will bring deep down satisfaction. But that's what we have in Jesus. Amen. When we receive his gift, and embrace all that he means to us. The Greek word here, inexpressible, was used nowhere else that we know of in the world until this particular passage, and it's only used here in the New Testament. Paul couldn't find a word to tell of the wonder of the gift of Christ, so he made up a word. basically means there's just no way to tell how wonderful it is. And as the song says, we have peace like a river, we have love like an ocean, we have joy like a fountain in our souls when our eyes are fixed on our Savior. Amen? No matter how rough life gets, we can cling to him to see us through. As with the disciples on the lake, he comes to us on the waves of our storm. The peace, the love, and the joy are there when our eyes are on him. And that's because he is the unshakable rock. But then I'm trying to express it, and it's inexpressible. We've been given eternal life in his loving presence, and that alone should be enough of a promise to make us overflow with gratitude every day of our lives. No matter how much we realize the promises of God and his daily blessings in our life, the gifts of, and grace of God are inexpressible. When Paul's, what Paul's getting at here is that we have so much in Christ. How can we not be generous when God is prompting us? Amen? All glory be to God. Jill, would you lead us in a closing song and then I'll give the benediction. <laughs>